I remember long time ago when I was a teenager and our family was having a vacation in the desert in Rajasthan, India. Our bedroom was literally the terrace of a house in a remote part of the desert. And I was getting ready to sleep, looking at a star-spangled sky with literally uncountable stars twinkling in the sky. And a thought came to me, have you made up all this whole thing? Is the universe we experience, is it real? So it's a true joy to get to ask these questions now with someone who may actually have some answers. What you see and what you feel is not necessary reality. I like to think of myself as a child looking at fish in a pond and wondering what would it be like to be a fish in a two-dimensional universe where the entire universe was just what you could see in a flat pond. I think there's about seven billion quadrillion stars that I'm looking at. I see beautiful diamonds just shining and waving. And if there was a scientist, a scientist fish, who lived in that pond, he would say, bah, humbug. There's nothing outside the pond. The universe is two-dimensional. The universe is what you can see and touch. There's no world of up. The world of up, the third dimension, does not exist. The universe can't be infinite, because what is infinity? It's not a number. It goes on forever. But if it's finite, then what's beyond that? We are the fish. We live in a three-dimensional world thinking that our fish pond is the universe as it actually is, while the mathematics and the physics is taking us into a world beyond the pond. And so we can't be arrogant to think that what we see and feel is reality. <gasps> Shooting star! I'm Deepak Chopra, and this is Infinite Potential where we explore what makes us conscious beings and why it matters that we are. My guest today is Dr. Michio Kaku, one of our leading theoretical physicists, a best-selling author, acclaimed public speaker, and is the co-founder of String Field Theory, which is, as we will get to, an attempt to explain everything in the universe. Yes, Everything. Let me say something that is not universally recognized by all physicists, but the only game in town is string theory. It's a theory that is incredible, fantastic. Mathematicians have been shocked, absolutely bowled over by the mathematics pouring out of string theory. But it cannot be proven directly because it's a theory of the universe. But we'll get to that. I can warn you that there will be some math, some science, and some big ideas ahead. But stay with us. It's worth it. Before we get into it all, you have a very interesting family story. I would love to start there. 
You grew up in this country, right? That's right. In fact, my parents were born in California. They were citizens. But of course, that didn't stop them from being rounded up at the beginning of World War II. December 7, 1941, a date which will live in infamy. They were only given just a few weeks to pack up their bags and then get shipped off to an internment camp. So you heard all these stories as you were growing up about what happened. Oh, yeah. But my parents always impressed upon me that no matter what the suffering that they endured, you have to pick up the pieces and move on. Mm-hmm. You know, my parents lived behind barbed wire and machine guns. But afterwards, they said, look, don't bear grudges. Pick up the pieces, move on, learn, make sure it doesn't happen again. But don't bear that cross for the rest of your life. But it must have influenced your identity growing up. Uh, How do you think of yourself? You're an American, but you also are Japanese. You have uh, been influenced by different uh, philosophies and ways of looking at the world? Well, first of all, my parents were Buddhists. I see. So on one hand, um, I understood the basic philosophy of Buddhism that, for example, there is a nirvana, mm-hmm. and that we try to strive for the highest state of consciousness within nirvana. Mm-hmm. And there does not necessarily have to be a god mm-hmm. or a, a person that sets the universe in motion. Mm-hmm. But when I was a child, my parents wanted us to be as Americanized as possible. Sure. So I went to Presbyterian Sunday school. I see. So I was raised as a Presbyterian. I see. And in the Presbyterian church, of course, you have this thunderous figure like Charlton Heston right. saying, let there be light and yeah. creating a, a universe out of nothing. So all my life, I've had these two mutually contradictory understandings of our world. One hand, that there was an explosion of some sort that set the universe in motion. And the other one is that, no, 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 it's just timelessness, just states of consciousness. I love that. So how did you, being brought up with this wisdom tradition, in a sense, um, influenced by your parents, and then the other religious tradition. How did you end up going into the field of physics? Well, it all happened when I was eight years old. Oh my God. I still remember exactly what happened. Everyone was talking about the fact that a great scientist had just died. And in the evening newspapers, they published a picture, a picture of his desk. And the caption said, this is the unfinished manuscript of the greatest work of our time. And I said to myself, wow, he couldn't finish this work? What was so important that everyone's talking about the fact that he just died, but he couldn't finish his greatest work? So I went to the library, and I found out that his name was Albert Einstein. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And that what this book was that he could not finish was the theory of everything, Mm -hmm. the unified field theory, the theory that would allow him to, quote, read the mind of God. And I said to myself, whoa, that's for me. That's what I want to work on, to help complete this great journey to understand the mind of God from a single framework, a single coherent framework, perhaps an equation no more than one inch long, that would help us to understand all the laws of the universe. 
So before we go further, let's take a minute to get some basic science under our belt. In mainstream physics, the physics you learned in school, there are four basic forces described in the universe. One, electromagnetism. Electromagnetism helps to light up our cities. It was Thomas Edison, of course, who helped to harness this and made it into a consumer science so that we have phonographs and motion pictures, all of it done using electromagnetism. Two, the strong force. Well, the strong force helps to hold the atoms together. So the electromagnetic force of electrons going around the nucleus gives us chemistry. But then what holds the nucleus of the atom together? And that is the strong nuclear force. Without the nuclear force, uh, our bodies would literally become a mass of electrons and quarks. Three, the weak force. Well, the weak force cannot hold the nucleus together. That's why we have uranium bombs. That's why we have uh, Hiroshima bombs, because of the fact that uranium is not that stable. And then we know the rate at which these atoms decay, and that gives us a clock. And that's how we know when the dinosaurs died. And that gives us a geologic clock by which we understand the age of the universe. But here's where it gets messy. There's one force left, and it doesn't seem to obey the same rules as the others. And every modern physicist from Newton on has grappled with it. It's called gravity. And that's the bad boy. Okay, so now, uh, what is gravity? Gravity is the force that holds the Earth together, uh, holds the sun together. Without gravity, the sun would explode and the Earth would fall apart and disintegrate. So it makes the shape of, of the entire universe. And it was first worked out by Isaac Newton, who said that gravity is a force. Now, however, Newton was criticized 300 years ago because that means that objects are moving without being pushed. And Newton was very disturbed by this. He, he wrote about it. He was very disturbed by the fact that everything moves because they're pushed. You push something and it moves. But then people said, well, what is gravity? There's no push. And he said, hypotheses non fingo, which translated means I'm clueless. I don't know what the hell is pushing an object. He didn't know what was pushing an object. Einstein comes along and says, forget this. It is space itself which is pushing objects. So there is a push. Newton missed it. So why am I sitting in this chair? You may say to yourself, well, any high school kid knows that gravity is pulling you down into this chair. But you see, Einstein said that objects move because they're pushed. What is pushing me into this chair is the fact that space on top of my head is pushing me, pushing me down into this chair. So why is the Earth held together? Why doesn't the Earth explode? Why doesn't the Sun explode? Because there's a force pushing, pushing these atoms together, creating stars and planets and my body. So it is the bending of space and time which is causing gravity. So if you want to summarize Einstein's theory of general relativity in one sentence, it's that gravity does not pull, space pushes. I heard some time ago a statement that matter tells uh, space how to curve and space tells matter how to move. Think of a trampoline net and a bowling ball. If you put a bowling ball in a trampoline net, it sinks. And then you get a marble. 
and you shoot a marble around the bowling ball, and what does the marble do? It starts to spin around the bowling ball. Now, that bowling ball is the sun. That marble is the earth. And that trampoline net is space-time. So right now, all of existence, and by existence I mean anything that exists, anything, including the stars, the galaxies, uh, earth, moon, your body, my body, this microphone that we're using, uh, everything is just a manifestation of these forces, these four things that we spoke about. Well, we've tried to look for a fifth force. Uh, there are physicists who actually publish articles on the fifth force, but so far we see nothing. We see that four forces uh, do seem to rule the universe, and we realize that three of the four are due to the quantum theory, mm -hmm. and that's a theory of atomic physics, a theory of atoms, and that describes the electromagnetic force and the two nuclear forces. But gravity is totally different. It looks very different, different mathematics, different physical principles, and we want to marry these two theories into a single theory. Which would then be the theory of everything. That's right. That would be the idea that Einstein tried to finish in the last 30 years of his life, from 1925 to 1955, and he failed. So tell us about string theory. Today we think that string theory allows you to unify all of this in terms of music. So we think that if I have a vibrating string, it has different notes, A, B, C, sharp, D. And we think that each of these musical notes corresponds to a subatomic particle. If you look closely, it's actually a vibrating string, a rubber band. So a particle from a distance looks like a dot, a simple dot, that's what all the books say. But close up, you will see that it's not a dot at all, but a, a vibrating string. What is physics? Physics is the harmonies of these vibrating strings. What is the universe? The universe is a symphony of strings. Universe, one song. You see, Einstein spent 30 years of his life on a hunch that the universe is broken. It's a very broken universe with all the different forces separate from each other. But why should, why should Mother Nature create a broken universe? Why not a, a single theme that resonates throughout the entire universe? Now we think that the fundamental basis of all particles, everything, the whole universe, comes out of a string. So that each vibration of a string is a particle. And what is a string made of? Well, of course, that has no meaning because it is the fundamental stuff out of which everything else is made. But think of it as pure energy, the purest form of, of existence, such that every note on the vibrating string corresponds to a subatomic particle. So in some sense, we're going back 2,000 years to the Greeks where they thought music was the only paradigm rich enough to explain the universe. I mean, think about it for a moment. If you were a Greek 2,000 years ago, you see leaves and fires and clouds and rocks and volcanoes. How do you explain the diversity of reality with a single thing? A single thing which can explain mountains and chemistry and stuff. The only paradigm rich enough is music. As I mentioned at the beginning, my parents were Buddhists. And in Buddhism, there are only states of consciousness, that is nirvana, and we strive for the highest state. While in 
the Presbyterian Church, there is an instant of Genesis when the universe is created. String theory allows you to combine these two into a single theory. It's a mathematical theory though, right? It is pure mathematics. We're going to take a small break and when we come back, we're going to talk about cats and how they relate to the Big Bang. They do, I promise. Robinhood is an investing app that lets you buy and sell stocks, ETFs, options, and cryptos, all commission-free. While other brokerages charge up to $10 for every trade, Robinhood doesn't charge any commission fees, so you can trade stocks and keep all of your profits. Plus, there's no account minimum deposit needed to get started, so you can start investing at any level. The simple, intuitive design of Robinhood makes investing easy for newcomers and experts alike. View easy-to-understand charts and market data and place a trade in just four taps on your smartphone. With Robinhood, you can learn how to invest in the market as you build your portfolio. Discover new stocks, track your favorite companies, and get custom notifications for price movements so you never miss the right moment to invest. Robinhood is giving listeners of infinite potential a free stock like Apple, Ford, or Sprint to help you build your portfolio. Sign up at infinite.robinhood.com. Welcome back. We left off talking about mathematics, but we're going to go much deeper than numbers on a page. If mathematics is the basis of quantum mechanics, of relativity, of anything we know about gravity, electromagnetism, strong and weak interactions, what is mathematics? Where does it exist? Some people think that mathematics is an invention. That is, we create mathematics sort of in our own image. I don't think so. I don't think it's an invention. I think it's a discovery. And that is, it, it pre-existed uh, before humans. Before humans, there were dinosaurs. They had laws of chemistry and DNA way before humans existed. And so I think that mathematics is there from the very beginning. We know there was a Big Bang in our universe. Our universe is a bubble. We live on the skin of the bubble, and the bubble's expanding. That's called the Big Bang Theory. String theory says there are other bubbles out there. Maybe infinite. Maybe an infinite number of bubbles. That is really a bubble bath, a bubble bath of universes, and these bubbles collide, giving you a bigger bubble, or the bubbles can fission, giving you a baby bubble. And that's called the Big Bang. So what is the Big Bang, this explosion which created the universe? It's probably nothing but a baby universe peeling off from a parent universe. Each solution of string theory is an entire universe. It predicts a multiverse of universes. Our universe may just be one of an infinite series of universes in a multiverse of universes. We can even go before creation. We can go before chapter one, verse one, when God says, let there be light. Last time I asked a physicist, so 
what was there before the Big Bang? And he said, it's not the right question because there was no space nor was there time. Uh, there was just the potential for space and time. But then the question is, what banged? Why did it bang? How did it bang? And it wasn't big or it didn't make a noise either, right? Yeah, and the, and the Big Bang wasn't very big back in those days. It was very tiny. But Einstein's theory says nothing, nothing about the pre-Big Bang universe because it's incomplete. And that's why Einstein himself knew that it was incomplete. He wanted to go before the Big Bang. And that's what string theory does. It allows you to go before the Big Bang to a multiverse of universes. We now realize that the Big Bang was a quantum event, meaning that it could happen again and again and again. In quantum mechanics, nothing happens once. Things always happen a number of times because there's always a probability that it'll happen again. So big bangs are happening all the time. Since we began this conversation, universes have been created. And some have passed on. And some perhaps have passed on. Now, why is our universe different? Our universe is different because it, it too was a little bubble that popped into existence, but it kept on going and expanded. We're not exactly sure wh quite why. But maybe there are other universes following the same... That's right. It's Lots, possibility. Yeah. In fact, I've, I've attended conferences where we're actually looking, looking for evidences of universes that are being created within our universe or a universe that peeled off like a baby bubble, a baby bubble from, from our own universe. We want hard data, and we're looking at the, uh, the cosmic background radiation to see remnants of perhaps another umbilical cord. Uh, another universe that branched off from our, from our universe. And only 4% of the universe then is atomic, and that's all the galaxies I'm told there are now. Most of the universe is not made of us. We are the oddballs. We're the crazy ones. We're made out of something, the higher elements like carbon and nitrogen, which are not common in the universe at all. What Michio is telling me is important to understand. In our entire universe, only 4% of what's out there is matter. The rest, well, almost everything really is nothing. That's the universe we exist in. You, me, and every living thing, including cats. Well, that gets us into the cat problem. If you were to write down the most famous paradox in all of science, the mother of all paradoxes, it is the cat problem. And that is that uh, a cat is put in a box and we physicists have to describe the cat in a box. We describe the cat in a box uh, by looking at waves. Mm -hmm. The waves represent all possibilities. The cat is dead, the cat is alive. And then we add them together. So before you open the box, you have to add a dead cat with a live cat. Now, at this point, most people would say, you're nuts. Mm -hmm. You're crazy. I mean, how could you be dead and alive simultaneously? But that's just the way physics is. When you open the box, you say, ah, I made a measurement. The wave collapsed and the cat is alive. But before you open the box, the cat is neither dead nor alive. Now, Einstein thought, this is stupid. The more successful quantum mechanics get, the sillier it looks. And how can you be dead and alive simultaneously? The universe splits. There's one universe with a dead cat, one universe with a live cat. And believe it or not, this is the dominant theory in physics today. That which I call me right now 
is just one version of almost maybe infinite versions in maybe even different dimensions of space and time. When I talk about parallel universes to an audience, some people raise their hand and say, is Elvis Presley still alive in one of these parallel universes? Mm -hmm. Is he? And I say, well, these are states. In one state, Elvis Presley did die. Mm -hmm. But you can conceive of a state where uh, Elvis Presley decided not to take any drugs at all. And there could be infinite versions of this Elvis Presley, right? Yeah, that's right. In infinite universes. Right. So now we're getting to so far down the rabbit hole that uh, we're talking, it's stranger than science fiction, right? Right. See, what you see and what you feel is not necessarily reality. Right. Like when you look at yourself in the mirror, that's not really you in the mirror. First of all, that's you a billionth of a second ago because it takes a billionth of a second for light to go from your face to the mirror and back. When you look at the moon, you're looking at the moon as it was a second ago. The sun, eight minutes ago, and the stars, hundreds of years ago. And some of them don't exist anymore. Radio picks up static. A lot of the static on a radio comes from Jupiter, but some of it also comes from the Big Bang. You are literally listening to Genesis when you turn on a radio and you hear that, that static. I can't help but think that these theories are conceived in consciousness, in human consciousness. So if you go back to where we started from, you know, matter and biology and life is chemistry and chemistry is physics and physics is quantum mechanics and relativity theory and these are mathematics and mathematics is in consciousness. I think you get to ground zero you're there at just pure potential. And that pure potential is consciousness itself. The only thing that's left is intention. Is this fundamental ground, ground zero, the zero-point energy field, the quantum vacuum, whatever words we use, is this ground zero then what you call the mind of God. If you were to summarize the two greatest mysteries in all of science, the two greatest mysteries in all of science are, one, where did the Big Bang come from? Two, where did consciousness come from? Because one deals with outer space and the other one deals with inner space. And these are the two greatest mysteries in all of science. And consciousness is the most precious commodity in the entire universe. Because without it, we wouldn't have this conversation. That's right. Not these theories, and no idea about existence. So existence and awareness of existence may be inseparable. In fact, as a simple example, realize that on your shoulders is sitting the most complex object in the entire known universe. The human brain has 100 billion neurons. Where in the universe do we find anything as complex? You may have to go many, many light years, many, many light years from the planet Earth to the nearest stars before you find anything close to the complexity of the human brain. It took billions and billions and billions of years to create consciousness. Time for one more break. 
And when we return, we dive into Michio's theory of how to measure consciousness itself. This episode of Infinite Potential is brought to you by Parachute. Sleep is one of the most efficient ways to restore your energy and also improve self-regulation, homeostasis. There are many phases to sleep, dream sleep, light sleep, and deep sleep, all of which are important for detoxification of body, mind, and renewal of soul. That's why we are partnering with Parachute. Visit parachutehome.com infinite for free shipping and returns on Parachute's premium quality, very comfortable home essentials. That's parachutehome.com infinite for free shipping and returns on Parachute's premium quality, home essentials. They offer a 90-day trial. So if you don't love your new stuff, just send it back. Technology is allowing us to achieve more than we ever dreamed of. Blinkist is another example of how we can use technology to give greater access to the writers and thinkers of our past, present, and future. And I'm excited to see apps like this help bridge the gap between people and ideas. Right now, for a limited time, Blinkist has a special offer just for our audience. Go to Blinkist.com infinite to start your free seven-day trial. That's Blinkist, spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T. Blinkist.com infinite to start your free seven-day trial. Again, that's B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T. Blinkist.com slash infinite. The question of what is consciousness remains one of science's greatest mysteries, and we're exploring it in all our episodes. But Michio's approach to it is unique. Let's get into different kinds of consciousness. Animals, for example, alligators, would have spatial consciousness. They understand space very well, where their predators are, food, mates, danger. Reptiles have the reptilian brain, the back of the brain, very well developed, and they understand spatial consciousness. Then we have monkeys who have social consciousness, that is the limbic system of the brain as the brain evolved from the back to the front. Then we have social consciousness, where you have to learn about pecking order, you have to learn about social hierarchy, manners, who's the top dog, who's the underdog, all the complexities of living in a society. Then the question is, what about humans? What do we have that is beyond spatial consciousness and social consciousness? And I say what distinguishes human consciousness is the fact that we see time, not just space. Temporal consciousness. We constantly dream about the future. We daydream, we plan, we strategize, we plan for the future. A lot of consciousness is planning, conceiving things, controlling your fate. And that's why I say that consciousness is one of the most powerful forces in the universe, because it determines its own destiny. All other objects in the universe simply obey Newton's laws, obey quantum mechanics. 
but they don't determine their own fate. So as I'm listening to you, and I'm also, you know, very familiar with, grew up with the wisdom traditions of the East, Buddhism, Vedanta, and all these. And when you say different types of consciousness in these wisdom traditions, these are literally species of consciousness. And each biological organism is a different species of this consciousness which looks at a different world. Is there a world that is absolute or are we not kind of in the end saying that the entire universe that we talk about, you and I talk about, and physicists talk about, is not the entire universe just a human construct for modes of knowing and experience in that which we call human consciousness? Let me say that I'm a physicist, and we physicists like to count. We like to quantify things. We like to put things on a scale, a metric, because otherwise things get a little bit fuzzy. Consciousness, I think, can also be measured and put on a scale. In fact, I have a definition of a unit of consciousness. One unit of consciousness to me is one feedback loop. So that a thermostat, a thermostat would be the unit of consciousness. That is, it monitors the surrounding around it, creates a model of itself, and regulates temperature, as called a thermostat, one unit of consciousness. I think when people talk to plants, well, it's not so stupid because plants are slightly conscious. They may have five units of consciousness because they monitor gravity, moisture, uh, temperature. Uh, plants have to know when to germinate, when to, to have flowers. And so a plant may have five units of consciousness, five feedback loops to create a model of itself in the forest. Then we have an alligator. That gives us into spatial consciousness, which is quite complicated. I'd say an alligator has a few hundred units of consciousness. And then once you go to social consciousness of a monkey, it gets even more complicated. Who's plotting against you? Who's your friend? Who's the top dog? At that point, I'm thinking of thousands of units of social consciousness to create a monkey. And then we have us. With temporal consciousness, we go even beyond that. We simulate worlds that don't exist. We create models of our world even after we're dead. We constantly think about the future of our grandkids. And so we're in a situation where we, as, as temporal beings, plot and plan the future in, and have models of reality incredibly more complicated than a simple thermostat. And so I have a definition then. What is consciousness? Consciousness is the sum total of all feedback loops necessary to create a model, a model of yourself in space, in society, and time. As I'm listening to you, I'm just thinking that all these different models of consciousness, mm -hmm. the feedback loops, uh, they are created in human consciousness. Is there something more fundamental that is inconceivable and immeasurable and unimaginable because we can only imagine in terms of experience in space-time? Mathematics has an advantage. It can put infinity into an equation or zero into an equation. So you're dealing with inconceivable 
ideas other than in mathematical imagination. Have you made up all this whole thing? Are we the creators of the universe that we know? Well, I personally believe that in some sense we are in the process of self-creation. Not just self-creating ourselves because we are masters of our own destiny, but self-creating the world we see around us. And the universe that And the universe see. that we only see a sliver of what's really out there. But hey, that's all we have. You know, we are feeble beings in this great complex universe. We try to make do with what we have. Is the universe we experience, is it real? I don't think that there is a one fundamental reality. So the question is, do we perceive a fundamental reality? I would say that we perceive a fundamental reality. That is one slice of what we see around us, given the information that we have. We try to make do with it, come up with theories, but it's only a possibility. Before we can even come up with the theory, we need to have an experience, which is a perceptual experience, then we need to interpret that, which is a mental experience, then we need to create constructs that are mathematical constructs. It looks to me that we are the creators of the universe. We create our universe in our own image in that sense, in the sense that we make do with whatever sensors and instruments that we have, and we, we try to make the best guess. So I think our universe is a fundamental universe, but it's not the only one. So all of you who are listening right now, you should be a little bewildered, a little astonished, a little more humble, and probably have more reverence for existence. Existence is mysterious and the awareness of existence is mysterious and the best we can do is create models of it. Dr. Kako, it's been a great pleasure to be with you. My pleasure. There can be no end to the universe. And if there is an end, like your, your burrito. Once you've finished eating your burrito, there's no burrito left. So what do you do? You get another burrito. <laughs> That is crazy. The next time you look at the sky above or into your mirror, imagine the invisible alternate universes contained within and beyond. The next time you feel like you're trapped in your reality, know that there are just as many waves of possibility, infinite potentials of your own existence. Thank you for spending time with us. Please let others know we are here. We are most grateful to you for helping grow our community of listeners. Now it's time for our gratitude list. Infinite Potential is produced by David Shadrach Smith and Julie Magruder and edited by Andy Jaskiewicz. The audio engineer is Bob Tabador. Carolyn Rangel is our associate producer and Serena Regan is the coordinating producer. We especially thank our guests, sponsors, interns and everyone who has contributed to bring infinite potential to you. Our show is created and executive produced by David Shadrach Smith 
Jan Cohen, and me. I'm Deepak Chopra, and this is Infinite Potential.